1: GTMc, We hope you've had your uh, mushrooms this morning And (laughs) and other numerous things (laughs) Oh man I forgot how much I love that song Anyway I forgot how much I love mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) So welcome And uh, we hope you see nice colors By listening to our lovely voices (laughs) Uh, Okay so we are back with our uh, uh boulevard com sponsored episode for the month of uh actually for the month of november we're getting caught up here in our feedback show and uh it was my pick and i chose the criterion blue of david fincher's the game which i believe uh will and i talked about off the air is our first fincher on the show a filmmaker that we both uh well we both really dig so uh, it'll be fun to talk some fincher today um with that, I think that's about all we got going on. Uh, yeah, that's, that's. I don't think we got any uh, house cleaning to do at the beginning of the show or anything. So, that I, can I
2: hope not. My French maid <laughs> outfit is at the cleaners.
1: <laughs> oh, don't make me do my Gerard voice again. <laughs> 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 all right. Uh,
2: so uh, what have you been watching there, Large William? I had a light. Ooh, I hear pretty patter have footsteps already. Mm. Good times. Um Probably just going into our bed. I hope. Uh, yeah, uh, that queen size gets pretty small. Uh, yeah. Two other whirling dervishes in it. Uh, I uh, I had a light week volume wise, but in terms of uh, this, the the films I watched, it was a tr- it was it was probably you can't have a better week than I had. Um, nice. Started the week off with Sunset Boulevard. Um, it's one I've meant to see for years and years and years and I taped it on TCM once and it was one of those things where the timing was off for some reason mm-hmm. so it starts like taping something else and then it, it finishes halfway through the movie so or, you know, just one of those so I finally saw it, it is great um, um, I do think that Gloria Swanson oh gosh, I can't remember the actress's name now Uh, Anyway, uh, forgive me, but I think she's a little over the top, which I guess is kind of the point, because she is very over the top. But it it is a tremendous film, worthy of its praise. So that was good, but the weekend or the week got even better because I had the privilege of seeing Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen. Um, I spoke to you about this off the air, so I'll keep it somewhat brief, but I would implore anyone who listens to a show that has not seen the film and has an opportunity to see it on a big screen to do so um it's worth every penny and you know if you can't then i would say there's a blu-ray that's 18 bucks right now uh that is well worth every penny as well yeah this finally i've seen this film finally i can say you know i've put it to bed and having seen it i can say that it, it is the grandest largest in scope film i've ever seen in my life um completely worthy of all the acclaim it gets. It's it's just a tremendous accomplishment, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. an incredible cast. Um, it's For anyone that hasn't seen it that's been putting it off because of the, the runtime and maybe it just doesn't look like it'll, it'll appeal to them, I would, again, say, you know, throw that notion aside because it's, you know, it's Leone but better in terms of, and that that's, you know, maybe that's a bit of a, uh uh remark that's you know gonna ruffle some feathers but it you know it's no secret as you and i spoke about leone was inspired by david lean and you can watch the film and see how much leone was inspired by him you can see that george miller was inspired by him you can see that yeah, you have from walter hill i mean everyone's been inspired by lean and this film and it's um It's one of the greatest films, I think, ever made. Uh, You will never see another one like it, so...
1: Yeah, it's it's an amazing film. I I never really... We we talked about it a little bit before you ever saw it, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was on your uh, list of shame, so to speak, (laughs) quote-unquote. Yeah. Uh, So I was always waiting for you to check it out and stuff, and was always waiting to hear if you dug it as much as I did the first time I saw it, so I'm glad you did.
2: Oh, yeah, and I can't... Yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, like I said, it is a long one, but uh, it's well worth your time. Yep. So
1: it's worthy of its like, of its <clears throat> length and girth.
2: It is absolutely, <laughs>
1: yeah. especially ben, if you take some mushrooms before you go see.
2: It. <laughs> nah. I wouldn't last four hours in a theater on mushrooms watching that man. Ooh, <laughs> some of those desert shots. Oh yeah, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, mess. Uh, I couldn't even read a newspaper if I saw mushrooms. Never mind. Uh, yeah, but anyway, then I watched the worst film I watched of the week, which is by no. There's no um, discredit to this film, but it's in some pretty esteemed company. It was um, James Clickenhouse's Shakedown. We were talking talking a few weeks ago about New York films. Someone on the board brought up favorite New York films of the 80s, I think, or 70s. And I said, I'd never seen Shakedown. So, good friend of the show, fellow Canadian, however he's living abroad. And the great US of A, Mark Wilson, um, sorted me out, got me Shakedown. And it's a, it's a very solid film. Uh, Peter Weller, Sam Elliott have great chemistry. Two really underutilized actors um, getting to sure the screen as, as the leads. It was one of the last gasps for New York City, seeing a lot of the, uh, the really sleazy, scummy, scuzzy 42nd Street and yeah. kind of a filthy New York. It's, it's a fun film, though. There's some pretty insane stunt stuff in it and action stuff. Um, so, yeah, it was good. And I capped my week off, excluding, of course, Fincher's The Game. With a film that had been really high up my list for films to see before we did year end, and that was um, Leos Carax's *Holy Motors*, which um, I had the pleasure of seeing at the Lightbox, and uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty incredible film. It's hard to talk about because it um, it's 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 a complicated film, and it's uh, I will be forthright in saying some of our listeners and our community will hate it. Uh, others will love it. I. I'm on the side of loving it. Yeah. Um, Denny Levan is, is is just you know people talk. I was talking with Carl Breson about this. I'll talk about Sean, um, not Sean Penn. Um, oh, Joaquin Phoenix this year is being sort of the, him and um, and of course Abe uh, Daniel Day Lewis as being the two runners for the Oscar. It's a shame that Denny Levan will get almost ignored come awards time because. The performance he puts in is one that very few actors could pull off.
1: Yeah, Levon is uh, well let's let's say he's an original. There's not very, oh, many, yeah. very not very many actors that look like him.
2: No, not at all. <laughs>
1: uh, so he kind of has this uh, almost like Lon Chaney type thing going. <laughs> yeah, on. and it looks like especially in this film. I haven't seen the film yet, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I told you off the air we were talking about a little bit that uh, I was looking forward to seeing it. Obviously, the trailer, well, even the trailer alone blows your mind. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're interested in that type of cinema. By the way, have you seen the trailer for Haneke's Amore Amor yet?
2: No, I want to see the film, though.
1: Oh, man, the trailer's fucking amazing. Anyway.
2: Is it? Oh, no, I got to see it. You, you and I were talking about There's a lot of good adult <laughs> kind of themed films between the late quartet and, yeah, yeah. you know. But uh, what's it called? Before I forget, people can see... Holy Motors on Blu-ray, I think, at the end of January. So keep your eyes on that. Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: But like I said, I saw their his film, uh, Lovers on the Bridge, back in the '90s, and I thought, you know, I'm a Julia Benoche fan, and uh, I didn't know who this Denny LeVon was, and I saw him that like this guy's both hideous and very and, and uber talented at the same time uh, with the way he looks sometimes, and uh, you know, I had a hard time believing, but <laughs> Julia Benoche should be attracted to him, but at the same time, the, the film's really good, you know. <clears throat> so I haven't seen a film of his since then, and he made that in 91.
2: Oh, wow, so, going back 20 years, man. So,
1: yeah, so, I mean, I, I you know, it was just weird to see this movie come out, and I'm like, I'm that
2: na- I know that name.
1: And then I looked, and I was like, oh,
2: weird. It's got, got some familiar faces, some unconventional faces that you wouldn't think would be in a French art house, mind-mouthing film, but they all work well in the context of the film. It's just,
1: you yeah. Alright, cool, man. Sounds like a good... Well, you can't I mean, you can't ask for a better weekend, can you? No.
2: So. no, you you can't. You really can't to see three films of that magnitude. I and mean, when your least film is still a very enjoyable, solid film, it's... it's a, you can go all year and you want to have a week like that, so...
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I watched a few things. Uh, went on a Mads Bruga, Or as I said to you on the phone, <laughs> I think Mads Booger. Yeah. Uh, Mads Burger, uh Film Fest. Hey, both of his films are available on Netflix Instant Watch. So I checked out The Ambassador which is the one you watched, I think, last week, mm-hmm. where he goes to uh, the Central African Republic and, and kind of buys his way into being a diplomat. Uh, I agree with you, man, that <laughs> there's a certain amount of tension in this film that you just can't really kind of convey in words, that you just know that at any, any given moment, things could go wrong, and if they do, that <laughs> is, uh he's done for. He's done for. I mean, he, he's in the middle of you know, a third world country where people disappear all the time. Oh, yeah. You know, politicians disappear. People disappear. So uh, it, it's pretty intense stuff. And it, it, it's both, in some ways, it's comedic. And some ways, it's completely tragic. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very interesting piece of film. Uh, very interesting. And and Brugger's uh, outfits uh very g g t m c man i love the <laughs> love the safari pants tucked into the leather boots. That, that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's always a nice touch with the as i was talking teasing you the cigarette with the uh the the plastic tip cigarette <laughs> <laughs> the long cigarette everybody was smoking in that movie man. it made me want to smoke like crazy
2: well there was cigars cigarettes yeah
1: but this is real life, and there's some g g t m c type moments in there man with the uh French the really heavy set French security guy and this is just you know just check it out guys it's on streaming it's definitely worth a watch uh, very very good film I also watched his other film uh, The Red Chapel which is uh, he takes a comedy duo one of them he calls a spastic I don't know if that's like what you call somebody that maybe has you know some physical ailment from when you're from uh, you know Europe or Denmark maybe or something I don't know <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he calls him a spastic, so he has you know he has issues kind of talking and walking and stuff. And he takes his comedy troupe over there. They're they're of, they're not of Korean origin, but raised in in uh, Denmark, so they have you know Danish names and stuff. Oh wow! And they speak Danish and stuff. They don't really speak Korean, so they they take him over there, and he's going to do a comedy like a vaudeville comedy routine for uh, the North Korean people. And uh, so he gets in, and uh, you know. It's really really interesting because you get to see a lot of North Korea, and uh, that's something you just don't get to see a lot. And uh, it's really some haunting stuff in a way. Uh, they don't really go anything really too dark there when you while they're there, but just the idea is of what's going on is pretty crazy, and
2: the potential for disaster.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's interesting because they'll speak in Danish in front of the uh, the North Koreans, and they're basically uh, the the two. Uh, uh, guys of korean descent they're basically super uncomfortable and super and super irritated <laughs> and and mads is pushing them and pushing them and pushing them and at one point man you got to see it because at one point they end up in a fucking north korean uh, military march celebration no way yeah they do and they end up on national tv in north korea <laughs> It's wild, man. And they don't. And Mads Berger's like he didn't. He's like maybe he's gone too far. He didn't realize he was going to be on national TV. <laughs> oh man! <clears throat> and he's walking. And he's pumping his fist. And he's, you know, he's essentially saying "Down with the USA." <laughs> and he's like, "Holy fuck!" You know? <laughs>
2: well, He's he's insane, man.
1: Oh, so. yeah. I don't. I don't know. I, if I was him, I'd I'd have the shits constantly. I would not be able to digest food. On either one of these films, I would be so nervous. I'm not saying anything about the quality of the food, either, by the way, the quality of the food in both those films doesn't look very good. (laughs) The Central African one, in certain points, it looks like he's eating some fancy stuff, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, check them out. Check it out. I know you've uh, seen the other one, but definitely check out The Red Chapel, too. It's pretty interesting. I I like The Ambassador more, because I think it goes into a little bit more about society. I think Red Chapel kind of really just kind of sticks on the kind of cult of personality that is North Korea and kind of its strangeness mm-hmm. um, I then checked out a film called The Barons which is a uh, Darren Lynn Bozeman uh, directed uh, horror film a new one about the Jersey Devil uh, I like the myth of the Jersey Devil a lot um, the idea behind it and stuff and there's some some nice practical effects in this film
2: so I forgive my ignorance. The only devil I know in any sort of jersey, <laughs> yeah. um, being Canadian, used to wear, wear green, hunter green and red. <laughs> now they were red and black. Yeah, um, they won a few Stanley Cups. What is the jersey devil myth?
1: <laughs> uh, well, the, in the Pine Barrens in uh, New Jersey, there's this myth of a mythical creature. This is you know, it's a mythical creature that lives there and supposedly, you know, it can sneak up behind you and that kind of stuff. It's just like a um, I don't know, like a regional supernatural bigfoot or something, but a deadly one. Because the Pine oh, Barrens, well. the Pine Barrens are really dense in Jersey. So, uh, you know, people go in and sometimes people don't come out and they say the uh the uh, the Jersey Devil got them. And that's where the New Jersey Devils get their name actually, so.
2: Very cool, very yeah. cool. So,
1: uh, it's it's a great myth. Look it up sometime. It's 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 a lot of fun, and it, you know it's one of yeah. those it's a you know one of those great American stories, supernatural mythological stories that are legends. That's just you know kind of fun if you're into that kind of thing.
2: I can't believe I'd never heard of it being a hockey fan, a sort of folklore fan, a horror fan. It's- yeah.
1: Well, I can tell you this though: don't watch the fucking because This movie fucking blows. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you won't, you won't hear me say that a lot about movies, because most movies, uh, you know, I can find something justifiable in them, but this one fucking blows, man. God damn it, was fucking boring. Ooh. I, think about it was, yeah, I think it wants to be The Shining and, like, Blair Witch Project and a couple other things all mixed in one, and it just turns into shit. Oh, man. And, uh, I don't know, I just, I, I, was, I wasn't into it at all, and, and you know, I, I sat through the whole fucking thing, and I just... It, it, you know, you had a great week, quality-wise, and I had a pretty good week, but then that film really really gut-punched me to the point to where I didn't really want to watch anything else. I was like, fuck, I don't feel like watching any more movies this week, man. Fuck this shit.
2: <laughs> e, what would you score it? Uh,
1: I'll give it the Zom. I'll give it a two. Oh. No, I'd probably give it like a a four in all reality because there is some style. I like the creature effects. Uh, it looks like they went practical with the creature effects, and they, uh, you know, it, it, it's it was pretty cool but just because of its practicality not because of it you know it was scary or anything but it was kind of neat and i had a few moments and stuff but it really just feels like a i don't know it's just i just felt like it was goofy and just didn't really work for me and Stephen moyer who's in it i guess he's in in, on true blood i don't i don't watch yep that's right Uh, he's in it and uh I don't know. I don't think he really sells it much. And I, I don't know. It's it's hard to explain. He's not a great actor. Yeah, you know, he in this film, he definitely is not a great actor. So, I don't know. It just didn't work for me at all. And so, I'd I'd probably give it like a four, maybe, in, in, on a real score. But it was boring, boring. Trust. So, you know, I thought, well, I'm just not going to watch anything the rest of the week. I'm just going to call it a week. Maybe go back to Doctor Who or. To something that I know I'm entertained by, maybe watch some TV. So I watched a little bit of TV, and I was like, you know, i was like, fuck it, you know, I feel like watching another movie, man. So I just I went to an old old friend, and I uh, dialed up a little Charlie B., a little Charlie Bronson. So
2: you were gonna say behind the green door.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I took Charlie behind the green door. <laughs> I gave him some mushrooms, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like oysters and turkey. <laughs> now he um, uh, he was in a film in '73 called The Stone Killer. Directed by one Michael Winter. Uh we talked about it a little bit when we did the Death Wish show. I know Ruop done a real big fan of it, but I think this is a this is a good uh, little Charles Bronson movie. It's almost like a Charlie Bronson Dirty Harry movie. Nice. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's uh, good. We we'll probably cover it at some point. Because it's vintage type material for us. The the suits, the it's it's also uncomfortably racist. <laughs> yeah. To the point to where even Charles Bronson's calling people stuff, and it's like, oh, god. come on, Charlie, man. <laughs> you know, he's just using every slang he can get a hold of. It seems sometimes I'm like, oh god, <laughs> this is slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that was not expected. I, you know, I'd forgotten how, uh, you know, how politically incorrect we
2: that film was. So, yeah, you know, you see films of the era, even a lot of mainstream films, and it's just like, ooh,
1: yeah, it's seventy three. 39 years old, 39 years ago, they were just throwing words around left and right. Like who gives a fuck? Would it, it hurt anybody's feelings?
2: Well, that's like, um, forgive me for using the term, but I think it's important to say in the context of our conversation, I think in dirty Harry, if I remember correctly, um, he's talking to one of the officers who's black and he says something like, yeah, I hate niggers. Yeah. I also hate spicks and chings. It's like, he names, everyone. And you yeah. would never, do that or get away with that nowadays with your yeah. he, with your hero?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I
2: mean, he, he hates everyone. saying he's just a grumpy old cop,
1: right? But, not not in a hero role. You might be able to get away with that with like uh, a bad guy in a film nowadays, right?
2: Even even the N word doesn't get used in in films as a like, for bad guys anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's too much. You yeah. know
1: uh kind of the righteous nature of political correctness is kind of taken over. You might get it out of a bad guy nowadays, but you 'll never get it out of even an anti hero now you 'll never nope, get no nope, so no nope, definitely not man so it 's kind of amazing, but this is definitely a take on i mean this is definitely charles bronson 's um dirty Harry. This mm-hmm. is essentially what this is, so you know this cop plays dirty. That kind of thing. So uh, he got a great name. His name is I think uh, Joe Tory. Not Joe Torre, uh Something Tory though. Joe, Joe, Joe Torre's. In.
2: Does he wear an over uh, an o- too large for at head Yankees cap? Yeah, yeah he was, And looks was like a, a train conductor. Yeah, he
1: wears a straight bill look and with uh, like a little <laughs> Justin Bieber going on there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, awesome. it, it's it's a good film. It's a good film. It's not it's not a great one, but it's definitely upper upper tier Bronson. So I don't know. Nice. People, I got to
2: see it, man.
1: People overlook it, but it's a good film but uh, that is it that's all we want that's all i watched but uh, it was a pretty good week except for the barons which really sucked ass so yeah so i don't know there might be there might be fans of the barons out there it's probably one of those things right so might be some fans out there that love it to each their own i just thought it was junk all right we are going to take a short break and then we are going to talk about david fincher's the game
3: Just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. Just it's it's That's the third time, though. I mean, unless this is on. You can find us at chinstroker versus dot So come and share the victory. If you could f-, f*** any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. You oh. he, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody you can keep keep a secret.
1: blinds on my french cut g-string i'm ready to rock and roll i don't know about you but
2: uh, i'm ready to talk
1: movies yeah. all right now you're not now you're not there you go there you are
2: now i'm ready to talk movies
1: <laughs> there we go Ooh, man those mushrooms anyway uh <laughs> all right so uh, my pick this week for the boulevard selection was the game 1997 david Fincher. He's French. He's French, and most of you don't know that, but now you do. Now you do. David Finchelle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David. David. David Finchelle. <laughs> With uh, Michel Douglas and yeah. uh, Champagne. Yeah. So yeah. there we go. <laughs> Champagne. <laughs> uh, anyway, so here's the basic plot. Wealthy financier. Ooh, how do you like that? There's almost a French word in there. Nicholas Van Orton gets a strange birthday present from uh, wayward brother Conrad. Good old Connie. Yeah, Uh, a live-action game that consumes his life. So, um, yeah, okay. So you know, this is a uh, I guess it was Fincher's third film.
2: Third film, second sort of major film because Alien Three was a you know disaster as far as um, the production went. So yeah, this came two years after Seven.
1: Yeah, and people were really looking to Fincher at this point because of uh, Seven was a bit of an unexpected hit.
2: Oh yeah, it so were, Made Spacey a star. It yeah. cemented Pitt as a bona fide, you know, a list leading man. Mm-hmm. I think up until that point he hadn't done a ton as a leading man, had he? I mean, by '97,
1: uh, I don't, I don't know if he'd done a lot, uh, but he wasn't the Brad Pitt we know. With that, that much we do know, so we mm-hmm. can we can say that. So, but, but anyway, he uh, this uh, kind of, the film kind of has it has its fans, it has its detractors. So let's see what you thought.
2: Okay, so yeah, we have both seen it once before. I had literally not seen it in the theaters, so that's 15 years ago. It's amazing. amazing. It is amazing. Um, It's the kind of film that once you've seen it, you you always remember what it is because it relies on something that happens, the turn that this film takes.
1: Let me ask you a question first real quick because that microphone sounds like it's rubbing up against either serious stubble
2: or it's in your pocket. Oh. Uh that is uh stubble.
1: Okay. <laughs> and nice. But
2: where but where's the stubble? <laughs>
1: yeah, is it oh that's a, going back to that French thing again. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's on your mushroom tip.
2: That's right, man. <laughs>
1: oh, if you got stubble on the tip, you might go New
2: pussy. You got bigger problems.
1: Yeah, you don't want stubble there.
2: No. Ooh, uh, ooh. <laughs> but um, 15 years ago, yeah, the film's reliant on something that happens that, um, uh, you know, it, it's it's sort of what um, people either love or dislike about the film. Mm-hmm. Um. I, at the time, I think it was, when I'd seen it, it was, um, well, you know, I'll talk about when I get to it in the film uh, okay. chronologically. So, yeah, Fincher is a favorite of mine and yours. Um, looking at his filmography, I'm surprised to see he's only in nine films, nine or ten films anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have both said that we unequiv- unequivocally feel that, zodiac is one of the best five films of the past you know 10 15 years yeah. and it's true um, this film I think this film for me because this by this point Fincher had some footing after seven as we had said I think this is a film that exhibits a lot of things that we came to know with Fincher his his um, cinematic voice became a lot clearer the way this film is uh, constructed it's very labyrinthine it's very controlled it's meticulous uh it moves in a certain way it's it's calculating um it feels very kubrickian which i think a lot of um a lot of fincher stuff does yeah um so i think it's very interesting to see fincher kind of get his voice Uh, you know although you can certainly see his voice in alien 3 i'm sure which i've not seen in 7 which i have but this is where it really starts to take shape, right? Because he can make more decisions himself to stamp it the way he wants.
1: Right, right.
2: Um, so that's Fincher. Now he gets, I think, I believe Howard Shore to score the film, which is scored quite well. <laughs> uh, let me also say too. I think this is Fincher's um, Fincher's foray into, much like Kim Ji Woon has done. Uh, it's Fincher jockeying for more power down the road, meaning. He was going to make a film that is conventional, but although it's meticulously crafted, with A-listers, and it's going to, if it's a success, it's going to enable him to get more power to make m- more films that he wants with more control. So I feel like this was a bit by design,
4: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: you know, for him to do that. Um, he casts Michael Douglas in the lead as Nicholas Van Orton, um, this was a, I think, a casting decision, especially of its time, that was perfect because, through the '80s and '90s, Douglas had always played uh, white collar for the most part. I mean, he's inevitably going to be known for Gordon Gecko. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is kind of like a, uh, this is kind of like a depressed Gordon yes. Gecko.
2: <laughs> it's if Gordon Gecko didn't go to jail, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If Gecko didn't go to jail. Well, I don't think that's, long-
1: that's not a spoiler if you've seen the trailers for uh, Wall Street 2.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Um, but if Gecko didn't go to jail and was around long enough for everyone to be fed up with his shit and leave him. So it's kind of that. Um, you then, you also get Sean Penn, who uh, you and I had remarked off the air. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. It's, it's incredible to see how young he looks in this film.
1: Yeah, yeah, both of them, but Penn in particular looks very childish compared to what yeah. he looks like now. I mean, I, well, I don't know if childish is the right word, but baby faced a little bit. Yeah, baby uh-huh. faced, and, and you know he has some childlike moments in the film. Uh-huh.
2: And it's a role that, in watching it, if it had been 15 years prior to when it was made, I could see Eric Roberts being in the in the Conrad role.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that 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 would work.
2: Yeah, but uh, other than that, I mean, those are the two main big actors you get. I mean, you get some character actors and you get some old faces like Carol Baker and Armin Mueller-Stahl, who who put in really good turns. Um, Deborah Kara Unger, who I've always felt like was the, I always kind of, and I don't mean this to sound crass, but it was the way I kind of um, compartmentalized her and organized it in my head. She was always to me like the less attractive version of Maria Bello. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I I have the same feeling toward Deborah carr Hunger. She's a she's a risky actress. Uh-huh. Like she she's not afraid to take risk. No. And good actress. I, yeah, I, and she's a good actress and I appreciate that, but I, she's never really been very appealing to me though. I mean, I I, I guess she's somewhat sexy, uh-huh. but not I guess best way to put it is sexy but not attractive. Does that make any sense?
2: Yeah, for me. Yeah, she, yeah, I mean, no, no, she has a sex with Just She's not necessarily appealing to you. Interestingly, I didn't realize this, she is in Fear X with John Turturro, which is, of course, Nicholas Winding reference from. She's the female lead, so I'm yeah, yeah. curious to see her turn on that.
1: I remember her in uh, Crash, the Cronenberg film, and mm-hmm. uh, where she rubbed her nipples on a plane. Nice. Which was pretty hot. If I don't know why, yeah. maybe I get a thing. I don't know. Yeah. I'll look, she I'll look into that this weekend.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. She's a good actress, though. I mean, she did uh, Payback with Mel.
1: Yeah, she's good in that, too.
2: Salt and Sea. I'm just running through 13. Of course, the film that made me never want to have girls. Um, (laughs) Stander, speaking of... uh, She's actually Stander's wife, I believe in that. Yeah, yeah.
1: I remember in that. I forgot she was in 13.
2: Yeah. So she's she's got some good films, man. She's a good actress, and I wish she worked more, because I do quite like her. Like I said, I always you know kind of thought of her as that. But... um, Uh, James Rebhorn who puts in a great performance Uh, a lot of familiar faces and one of the reasons I like the familiar faces because I think it it does something who's Carolyn Barkley she looks pretty fucking (laughs) pretty fucking hot for an old Coog but uh, I like that he casts familiar faces because it, it gives the film and it gives Douglas his character throughout the film that sense of, haven't I seen you somewhere before? Which he asks a few people, just like we as the viewer will ask ourselves, "Have where have we seen him? It's, well, I know we've seen him in a ton of things. That face is familiar. Where do I know it from? Right. So it gives us the same sort of sense that uh, Douglas's character, Nicholas Van Orton, has. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, again, was, was kind of Fincher putting all the pieces in place. Um, Fincher, I know himself has called this film as a quick and dirty a postmodern Christmas Carol, which I think is a pretty <laughs> a pretty accurate statement. Uh
1: yeah. There's some uh, Dickens like stuff in here.
2: And just the this old miser, miserable guy, just alone, rich, greedy, selfish. Mm. Um
1: learning some moral type things and eating some humble
2: pie yeah yeah, in a big
1: way (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah it's 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 all definitely there it's uh i mean the film is when i first saw it i thought it was uh, a one note movie but i think it's deeper in retrospect seeing it the second time Mm -hmm. uh either like i said before we we said last week and we've said it often is you know either my taste has changed quite a bit and I see see it differently than I did when I first saw this after seven. I was a, I'll be honest I was a little let down, mm-hmm. um, but I, I kind of have a different perspective of it now, which is interesting. <laughs>
2: well, I think you can respect and appreciate the craft more now that you're older and and have more of a a studied eye for mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Not to say if you dislike this film, you don't have a studied eye. It's not going to work for everyone. But I think as someone who appreciates film and f- filmmaking craft, uh, that's something you really can't take away from the film. <laughs> Whether you think the twist or the the reveal, I should say, works at the end or not. Um, it opens with whole movies, which is something that I don't recall since having used really in other films of his, like that like uh, was like 8 millimeter or whatever it is, uh, footage.
4: Okay,
1: yeah.
2: And it keeps kind of cutting to it, which, yeah, is something I, I don't recall him ever doing. He usually stays with whatever film stock he's using. Um,
1: yeah, I like that uh, I like that footage.
2: Yeah, it's good. It's definitely good, uh, especially because, I mean, Douglas's character, or this isn't a spoiler, um, his father died when he was 18 or you know, he was younger, and it, it's impacted his life. We we see it's one of the few things that fleshes him out and may, even shows us that he's human or feeling in any way is that he's constantly thinking about his, his father who... Um, jumped off uh, a building, I think, committed suicide when, when mm-hmm. Douglas was uh, when when Nicholas Van Orton was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, looking at those that home movie footage, quote unquote, the guy they got to play the father. It's uncanny how much he looked like Michael Douglas from certain angles, like it, the nose, the cheekbones, the the chin and stuff. It really looked like him.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, pretty good. Yeah, it did look like him. I, I, I think they did a very good job casting there. I also like the uh, the old school uh, suit the dad wears. Yeah, and you can just you can tell there's something wrong with the dad. Like he's a distant dad without any dialogue. I like that.
2: Yeah, you do get a sense there's something something off.
1: Yeah, there's something underlying there, right? So,
2: mm-hmm. no, definitely. Um, it's uh, yeah. So you already talked about, uh, and it shows little glimpses, right, of things that that um Douglas has carried like the watch he's had since he was 18. That was his dad's watch. This is someone who could buy anything. Mm-hmm. He's he's unbelievably rich, but he's clung to this watch. You can tell it's really um maybe his most prized possession.
1: Yeah, you see it's it's got an in- inscription on the back of the back of the watch you see at the very beginning.
2: That's right. That's right exactly. Um you know this film it features a corporation which is it's almost like the cat's eye or one of these sort of sort of shady um, all-seeing, all-knowing, sort of evil corporations that you you see in, in genre film and Twilight Zone episodes and stuff like that, and
1: yeah, one of those corporations <laughs> that kind of play on American paranoia.
2: <laughs> That's right. That would have come, you know, I think in the '60s and certainly the '70s. You would have seen it even the '80s. So this this kind of continues that uh, that trend. Um. And we really get a good sense for Nicholas's, I'm just going to say Douglas, so it's not confusing. No. For Douglas's character, um, he hates surprises. And there's even a moment when uh, Conrad, his brother, is going to be. Um, he has you know, some other restaurants saying happy birthday, and you can Douglas just bristles. He hates it, and this is someone who just doesn't have time for anyone. So that's why I think that um, that. Uh, I was gonna say, Alistair Sim. Fuck, the Christmas Carol uh, reference is is apt, I think. Um, it, and the thing I like about the stuff with his father too is that someone chasing a ghost. Part of him being restless and on edge, I think, is the is the frustration that he's chasing something that is impossible to to get. It's elusive. It's it's never going to be there, and he can never can never grab hold of that, which I think adds to his um, adds to his his demeanor as a person
1: well you know i think also the the way he's uncomfortable with any type of congratulations any type of um celebration or any kind of thank you You even the secretary at one point tells him happy birthday and he looks at her at the gordon gecko look yeah and uh and then after she walks out he tells his closest secretary that he doesn't like her uh you know i think that by staying away from people, staying away from celebration, staying, I mean, obviously, you, you feel like you have more control. Mm-hmm. And I think he feels like, you know, because of the situation that happened with his father, obviously, he probably feels like his life is, you know, getting close to anybody or anything, would he would lose control. That's right. And he doesn't like that feeling, right? So I think that's, you know, that's, that's obviously the whole parable of this movie is the distance that he kind of sets up for himself. And, you know, how... In life is you know I mean to teach their own but is it really you know good to to be this distant you know if, if maybe you have some control but is this really you know what the way life was supposed to be led you know or maybe you know for some people maybe it is the way their life should be led but you know for some maybe not and I think his his brother sees that yeah you
2: know? he does because he's pushed everyone away and his brother has stuck around because he is his brother yeah yeah. You know, and it's not even like they to have a great relationship. We get the sense that Connie's they would have a fuck up, and Douglas is his brother, so out of a uh, sense of loyalty, he, you know, he gets. To get, it seems like they have sort of a, a twice a year visit or three times a year visit with each other, and that's kind of it. But but there is a sense of love and of loyalty there. Um, mm-hmm. Before I forget, I do want to say this film was uh, lensed by Harris Savides. Um, one of the probably least talked about, but great D.O.P.'s from the 90s and 2000s. Yeah. Uh, who sadly just died a month ago.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. Uh, he's definitely one of the better um, D.O.P.'s that's worked through the past 20 years or so. Really, really good stuff. Really distinct stuff. Uh, uh, Elephant and Jerry for uh, Van Sant. He, shot, he lends Zodiac, American Gangster, Milk, um, you know, uh, work with Sofia Coppola and somewhere. So, I mean, he's he's... Very accomplished uh, DOP that no one really talks about, um, but yeah, you know you definitely get that uh, that sense of uh, of just uh, sectioning everything off
1: yeah I mean I, for me it's almost a personal thing because i I can, I can sense i mean I'm a person of solitude typically anyway, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think that comes from my past of uh, some things in my life being out of control, and I think that you know to keep it under control, I stay away from certain elements. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I catch myself staying away from everything. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can see where if I was insanely rich, uh, where I had power and things like that, um, you know, where I could buy what I, any vice I would need. I wouldn't have to actually pursue it. Uh, you know, I'd you know, have my big house. I'd have my, you know, the things I want or maybe a little house. Who knows? It doesn't matter. But I, I would have control of my life. And it would be easy. It would be easy to work 12, 15 hours a day, come home, watch TV, go to sleep, get up,
2: do it again. Yeah, your dinner's there from the the maid or the housekeeper.
1: No children to commit to, because I don't think they ever mention children.
2: No. He does
1: have an ex-wife.
2: I get the sense that he was too busy for children. Yeah, yeah. Because they make a point to show that his ex-wife... Has a child and are expecting another one with yes. her, her new husband, and she doesn't say it in a rub it in her face way. It's just it's having conversation. She calls because it's Nicholas's birthday. Yeah, I don't know I, if we've said that. No, but no. Connie gets this thing for Nicholas's birthday as a gift.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like the uh, I like the. I wish they would have went into it a little bit more. The ex wife uh, relationship is is interesting because it's not a bitter relationship. Uh, I mean, at a point she, she even you know, it, it, it's a loving ex ex lover. Uh, relationship,
3: <clears throat> yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's mature.
1: It's adult. I mean, you've even got the the now husband of his ex wife, and, and you know he's he's totally fine with you know. I mean, you don't see a lot of ex wives, ex husbands in movies, uh full on kissing each other with general affection. Not with,
2: it, 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 but there is certainly we should say it's not like an open mouth kiss. It's just like a happy yeah. birthday, a warm kiss. But uh, yeah, respectful. a warm kiss,
1: right, right. And even in real life, you won't see that a whole lot because a lot of divorces, there's a lot of bitterness. Yeah, there so is. I kind of like that uh, they handled it in a very mature way.
2: Well, I think the the turn from the uh, Anna Katrina, I think it is, the actress that plays the ex-wife, she puts in a great performance in and, and limited time on screen. I mean, she, I think, has the perfect blend of kind of um, regret, sadness. She's moved on, though. I mean, she's not pining for him, but I think there's a sense of um, what could have been. And it's just, you know, she laments it, but has moved on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sure.
2: But no, it is a good relationship in the film. Um, one of the girls from Head of the Class, I think, is in this film. She plays one of the hotel clerks. Mm. Not uh, not Robin Givens, obviously. Not Rain Pryor. Was Rain Pryor on, on uh, Head of the Class? I think she was, wasn't she?
1: I can't remember. I can't remember. I know that, you know, you said Anna Katerina, and I believe, I thought I knew that name somewhere before. Mm-hmm. And I did. She's been on our show before. She, she was in The Blood of Heroes. And fuck that. Oh, and, nice. I, and oddly, I just now realized that Carol Baker was
2: his maid. I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's <laughs> why I was saying between Stahl and her. Yeah. You know, Baker's one of the big sex pots of her time.
1: Even you saying it, I didn't realize it. And I'm just sitting there looking through the cast. And I'm like, holy fuck.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. She was a good looking woman, boy. Yeah.
1: yeah. She was in, uh, what was it, with Baba Yaga?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So her also, she slips under the radar as, uh, you know, that's her second time on the show.
4: Yeah.
2: If people hear a noise, I have a medicine ball between my legs. That's not a euphemism. <laughs> um, <laughs> God, I'm looking for the the chick that would have played. Um, oh, yeah, there it is. Kimberly Russell. She was, yeah, she was head of the class. Okay. She was the light skinned, kind of sweet faced black girl. She was in it for a few minutes. But, um, it's so funny. When she, no, she's a receptionist at the CRV or whatever they're called, CRA, or whatever oh, okay. the organization's name is.
1: Yeah. Okay, I see her, I see her now. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Um, well, she was I, in, she was in Precious? I didn't remember in Precious, but okay.
2: Nor do I. Oh. Um, it's weird because when he first gets the agency, they're asking him questions, and one of the questions on the, on the questionnaire, which is meant to unnerve him, but it's humorous to hear him read the line. He says, "I feel guilty when I masturbate." <laughs> oh, I said, that only makes one of us, pal, because
4: because
2: I don't. Yeah, um, and it's weird because you almost get a, like a, a total recall sense during the first interview.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, it's this kind of, uh, you know, it, it just that that kind of sense of this trip away from yourself, so to speak. Um, they do a lot of stuff in this film, little things that you can tell Van Orten. I said I wasn't going to call him Van Orton, but I seem to. With the Van Orton character, Michael Douglas's character um, would not be accustomed to. For example, they tell him that his application for the game has been rejected. Yeah. yeah. And this is a man who gets everything he wants in life, whether it's um, a waitress getting fired at a restaurant, yeah. or his dry cleaning this way, or. Mm you know, his burger dressed that way. It's someone who always gets what he wants. So to be told, No, you've been rejected. You're not worthy. You don't qualify. We start to see that unnerving of his his character that they're stripping away the control that he's used to in, in a systematic way, which as the film progresses, is very entertaining to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they uh that's the first bit of manipulation they have on him,
2: right? Mm-hmm. They
1: know they know it's gonna really get it get his goat.
2: <laughs> oh boy because it, it interrupts a board meeting and you can tell it even throws off his board meeting yeah so really good um, he, so he gets home and one of uh, I'll talk about the scene later on but something that even especially in blue looks beautiful he comes home and he finds, this, finds this, this dummy or something lying face down at his house and it's this clown doll which is pretty much life size it would probably be about a five foot clown doll and that doll is, uh, it's creepy, certainly, but it's beautiful, especially in blue to see the the shine on that face of that clown doll. Yeah. And uh, God, it's such an intriguing prop. Yeah. Such an intriguing prop. He shows up at his house, this thing's lying there. He brings it in the house and um, it's just, you know, and then some things start to happen that really, you um, it throws him for a loop its really it's,
1: it's really cool and almost kind of cruel, yes, the way they set it up because of his past and stuff it, it's about the, i mean I guess you could say there's other cruel moments in the film, but it, the, th- that one seems like the most emotionally cruel uh for him, and I don't know yeah. I don't know if i mean obviously it's done on purpose as part of the game quote unquote but I just see to see it it i guess maybe me getting older it seems unreasonably cruel.
2: <laughs> Well, there are a few things that seem unreasonably cruel, especially with what the film is propelling towards mm-hmm. but But, as we work through that, I think it's also a way of a cautionary becomes a cautionary tale of if you're not careful, this is exactly what could happen to you. yeah, yeah. we're going to be propulsive about it and and force you to do this, but if you were to do it on your own, if, if you were to let your life continue the way it is on its own, you could end up the same way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just someone who's in control, just really losing all control. Everything, everything. They can't trust anything in, in their life. And it almost has that 70 sense of paranoia because you cannot trust anyone from, you know, um, the guy at the restaurant that you're used to, the homeless man you see in the street, the taxi driver, everyone in this film you are constantly evaluating how trustworthy they are. And in almost every instance, you're left with, I can't trust anyone or anything I see or do or engage with. Right, right. right which is a 70s kind of uh, uh, trope. A lot of the stuff, like in a lot of Fincher films, especially in blue, feel very tactile, whether it's rooms that have uh, pronounced amount of leather, oak, uh, tiles and brooms glass marble brick he seems to always be a director who is uh, obsessed with the tactile and how immersive the tactility of 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 a room or a given area is in his films
1: yeah yeah set design is a big deal for david fincher
2: yeah oh very much so
1: but but unlike like a ridley scott who i think kind of benefits more as a filmmaker because of his set design mm-hmm. Because uh, I think his set design and production design is sometimes even better than a filmmaker he is than the type of filmmaker he is actually.
2: I would agree with that.
1: Uh, Fincher, I feel like, is a is a good filmmaker that works in that world, like like a like it, a like a Kubrick.
2: That's right. That's right. Where I think yeah, Ridley isn't as good as his, his production stuff. So sometimes people mistake immaculate set design or production for, values for him being a great filmmaker. Mm-hmm.
1: One, um, one of my biggest issues with Blade Runner is that uh,
2: another show, my friend. I completely disagree.
1: <laughs> I think the production design is uh, amazing.
2: As, it is, you know, it uh, it totally is. We'll get into that some other day. We we will because that's two hours right there. Uh, <laughs> you know what's an interesting decision he makes, and I have to wonder if it's a nod <laughs> to another film or something. There's a moment when um, Douglas's character gets on a plane. And they could have just used this well, this wide shot of a plane. But it seems like they used '60s footage from a film or TV show because it just was the underside of the wheel of the plane coming out as it's take or going up as it's taking off. And it was very obviously kind of '60s footage of some from somewhere. Whether it was, I don't know if it was an Easter egg, kind of a, an in joke. movie.
1: I agree with you. It was totally stock footage. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I don't was, know
2: why. But I got to listen to the commentary now to see why Fincher used that. If he says anything,
1: I would say with Fincher. 99% of the time it was done on purpose. So Agreed.
2: I would, I oh, would, totally agreed. Yeah, the filmmaker he is and the, the control he has, definitely.
1: Definitely something he probably just wanted to do.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we also see that uh, Fincher has a bit of a... Fincher. Uh, Van Orton has a bit of a capacity for cruelty because there's an accident where uh, some red wine or something spilled on his shirt and
1: he gets a lot of shit his shirts get fucked up throughout this movie
2: <laughs> yeah they really do they really do
1: from pins
2: to wine to <laughs> blood yeah everything it's true his shirts always get fucked up man. And,
1: and i gotta think and it's one of my notes so i'll go ahead and go into that right now i gotta think that they know that, i mean this is comes from the the analysis they did at the crs that they know he's i mean at one point he mentions that there goes a thousand dollars when he loses a shoe Mm -hmm. Uh, she goes your shoes cost a thousand dollars and he says that one did (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. this guy is also as much as he is removed and everything he's a bit vain
2: he's very vain he's very vain
1: and i think that they constantly are fucking with him in that way which is that's the kind of cruelty i actually enjoy
2: in the film Oh, too because it's come up and it's it's a reminder that he needs to strip away yeah his uh, fixation with this stuff and it's true this is someone who is because everything in his life is immaculate and controlled, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. him to have a beautifully custom-tailored shirt that now has ink all over it or <laughs> yeah. red wine or yeah. whatever, I can tell you, if I'm out eating wings and I'm wearing a white t-shirt and I get wing sauce on it, it, it kills me. I won't even eat
1: wings if I have a white on because I know, without fail, I'm going to fuck up. I'm not, even, I'm not even that confident. I admire your confidence, bro.
2: Well, my stomach—it's my stomach, <laughs> not my confidence.
1: Okay, so, well, there is a fine line between confidence and uh, <laughs> desire and desperation. Yeah, desire. There you go.
2: <laughs> yeah. With oh, D- Douglas, uh, uh, me and yeah. you,
1: a couple of white t-shirts, some mushrooms, uh, and some buffalo wings.
2: <laughs> yeah, man. A minute to win it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know what we're doing in Toronto next time?
2: Yeah, white jorts. <laughs>
1: Ooh, white shorts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh but anyway, see he's, the shit gets spilled on his shirt, and you can tell he's upset. But the waitress, I don't think she's overly short with him, but um he's a dickhead to her, and he he's used to people taking him being a dickhead because of his power. Mm-hmm. She doesn't she bangs him back a bit, and we see he's within earshot of her employer. Yeah. She says, "Clean out your locker. You're fired." You get a sense he doesn't reveal too much, but he hears everything. He never intervenes to say, "No, no, you don't need to fire her." Yeah, he lets this woman get fired yeah. from her job because she spilled uh, some red wine on his t-shirt, er, mm. on his t-shirt, on his uh, on his shirt. Right? right. And I guess again, it kind of goes to show you the kind of cruelty that he or the he just doesn't really care. He's yeah. very self-absorbed.
1: Yeah, I, I like that moment um it is again as as a uh, fincher says it, it's a very dickens moment it's a very scrooge moment yes scrooge, you know, it's it's like the begin it's it's actually probably the moment in the film where he's starting to turn mm-hmm. maybe in some way yeah so yeah. Very, it's very interesting a uh, little more hey, you know, douglas's his performance is both subtle and a little over the top in spots. especially In the right way. Yeah. At one moment, he literally loses his mind. It says, nipple rings, butt fucking Captain Kangaroo.
2: Oh, I love that. I was going to write that quote <laughs> down. He's like, uh, how does he say that? He says, I, could, oh, I can't remember where, where it was. Nobody he says, yeah, I could come in here wearing nipple rings, uh, butt fucking Captain Kangaroo. <laughs>
1: Yeah so yeah you know, it's it's both oh, subtle performance and an over the top performance and uh, you know me and you've both talked about Michael Douglas as uh oh, yeah. he's a good actor but he's he's also very much a movie star type yeah, actor he is. and uh so i think a lot of times he gets um, kind of hit on his performances because of his kind of
2: movie star qualities
1: mm-hmm. but he he can hang he can hang he can hang with showten he Penn. can
2: hang for sure He's, he's a great actor, man. I, I, not a great, he's a very good actor. Yeah, very
1: solid movie star actor.
2: Who I like, who I like a quite, mm-hmm. like I said to you, there was a time when I used to think I hated Michael Douglas, and I stopped and was like, well, no, he's made a lot of really films he really digs. So, no, he's, he's great, man. He's, he's all, right, all right in my books.
1: Yeah, I always thought there's, I mean, and I've said this on the show several times, there's, 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 there's good <laughs> actors, I mean, there's great actors, and then there's movie stars, and I just feel like, you know, they're, they're, they're two different things. I think some people, like Tom, like I've always said, Tom Cruise, that's a movie star. Yes, he's had some great performances, but he's a movie star. That's right. He's not a great actor. He's just a movie star. Like Cary Grant, he's he's a movie star. Yeah, you know,
2: Peck's a movie star. And I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. he's not an act, a great actor.
1: Yeah. Whereas Robert Mitchum was more of an actor. Yeah. And uh, he had and some movie an icon star of, of
2: cool. He's yeah. like a whole other realm.
1: But then, like Steve McQueen, that's a great example. Not a, not a great actor, but definitely a movie star.
2: Yes, absolutely. So the charisma and. Yep. You know. Um, so at this point things start to really turn and now it becomes very much Fincher saying, we're going to throw reality out the window. This is going to be a film. It's going to play by its own film rules and it's going to be very cinematic and you have to be willing to suspend disbelief here, especially on multiple viewings. Um, because there's, you know, there's very much an intentional artifice and, uh, Things that are happening in the film that uh, you you need to certainly be along with, go along with. No, like um, everything from the fall in the garb, you know, from the the fire escape into the garbage dumpster in an alleyway, which I think was in almost every '80s film. Yeah, 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 yeah which we see in this one. A little, um, a little joke
1: there from Michael Douglas. I got to feel was improvised. The table for two, please.
2: And you know what? That was the moment when I felt like it was like, uh, what is it, Romancing the Stone, yeah. Douglas? Yeah.
1: I, I don't really need that moment. I would say that there's probably, you know, that was probably one of those moments that was made up on the set. And like, this would be funny if we if he said this.
2: Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I liked it, though, because I feel like it was him starting to let his guard down and all, and, and unbutton his shirt, so yeah. to speak. Table for two, please.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, way he said, the way he says it, all quiet
2: shit. <laughs> yeah. It's it's, it's funny stuff. Um, But now everything's really starting to unravel. And, um, oh, you know, another guy, another familiar face we see is uh, another one of the hotel clerks or a hotel clerk is played by the bully from uh, from Karate Kid 2. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, you're right, man. I wondered where I saw that fucking guy. Never forget that
2: motherfucker's face.
1: Yeah oh god i fucking hated that guy when i was oh, a teenager i
2: hated him so bad i hated his guts <laughs> oh
1: oh man motherfucker that's one of my favorite part twos of all the part twos i've ever yeah, seen is karate it's kid part two i think he gets shit on a lot and i think it's awesome
2: it is awesome man uh, totally awesome
1: I, I love uh the uh the uh the actor that plays uh saito yeah saito the uh is, is, is that the one that plays uh, the Miyagi's boyhood friend. Yeah, oh, that's fuck. right. I love him, and you know why? Because the way he talks. You oh. are a
2: coward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's intense, man. He's he's just <laughs> mafuniing it up. Yeah. Like every second, he's like coward. Who you're, yeah. coward? it's great man it's i gotta watch those films with my kids soon man
1: oh fuck yeah i'd, I'd love to do a double do someday of one and two oh, we fuck. should
2: oh. we should man we you know we should almost do a month one time maybe next year we'll do a month of childhood favorites we could do like last Starfighter and
1: oh fuck that would be fun you know, that would be fun
2: let's do it man let's do a month of a childhood favorites one of them would be a double deuce for the karate kid films
1: yeah you know what we've never done a month a theme month let's you yeah, know yeah. let's commit to it let's do it
2: yeah okay good 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 this is gonna be fucking rad
1: yeah that'd be awesome. okay good speaking of rad
2: you know, I ha- oh, yeah, yeah, man. I got, I got a high-def uh, rip of Rad, man. I'm totally down for Rad.
1: I don't know if we'll have enough time in a month to cover everything we want.
2: Next, coming next year to the GMC. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and by next year we mean any time between now and next December because you know how our timing is.
2: Yeah, precisely, precisely. Well, I'm down. That'll be fun. Okay, good. Um, what else do we got here? Um, oh. Um, and then it, he gets anyway. Some stuff happens. You know, things consider are still systematically unraveling for for Douglas's character and
1: Eugene y- Okamoto, Okamoto. Okamoto, there we go. Fuck. Let's look at
2: Eugene. That's his name, Eugene. <sniffs> uh, y- y- Eugene, the yeah. Japanese dream. Yeah, motherfucker, bastard. He's in Big Mama's house too. That motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> How The mighty have fallen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ooh, he was in Inception. I didn't realize that. How about that?
2: Oh, I think I probably re- recognized him in that at the time, but there's so much going on in Inception. That, <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, um, just looking through his filmography to see what else yeah. I might have known him. in. but yeah, no, I think he's worked a little bit. He's one of those Japanese actors that. Uh, oh man, he's worked. Know,
1: he's worked with the Poon.
2: Did he? Yeah, yeah. I, you know. No, there's a few of those Japanese. What's his name? Carrie. Um, Carrie, you can. I can't remember his name. No, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> there's the this. Convention. Then now I can't help but think of Esther from the movie Orphan with some blacklight painting. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> Esther yeah. would approve of, of the redecorating of the Van Orton house.
1: That's insane. That redecoration. I mean, they really went into detail, didn't they?
2: They did. And that's, of course, that's
1: a, that's a total David Fincher thing, though.
2: Yeah, it is. You can't. You, they wasn't just going to do one one yeah. little aspect of it. But uh, then that's when we get White Rabbit, of course. Yes. And uh, what's great about that is, I I can't imagine. That unconventional delivery of a song being successful today,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good it's, point.
2: But what I hear, whenever I hear that song, as good as it is in this film, there's one film to me of the same decade mm-hmm. that, that uses that so just so perfectly, and it's uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, yep. yep, with the fucking fat Del Toro in the bathtub.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean this, that song is synonymous with drug use or hallucination your mind. yeah or just going over you know it's just synonymous with all that stuff so um it kind of stood out in this film so i decided to use it this week but uh it is kind of synonymous with all that uh you know just yeah i mean just insanity right so
2: yeah which i think is also interesting now that i think about it because weren't they from san francisco
1: uh yes scenario? i believe they were i, bl- I believe they were
2: yeah, so I think it was also you know because the film takes place in San Francisco, which you said to me because you'd watched this before I did in the week. But uh, this film, you can see Fincher doing some stuff that harkens to Zodiac a few years later. Some of the the shots and the way he employs the city uh, to, to, for mood and for just uh, for cinematic reasons.
1: Yeah, I almost feel like he. Um like he, you know, there were some things he wanted to do here, and then like Zodiac came along, and he was like, "Hey, you know, some of that stuff I was doing with the game, I can really kind of work on now."
2: And he had the time, the expansive landscape, uh, or or you know, portrait to be able to do it with with Zodiac. Like some of the great night shots with the fog, even though they're good in this, I feel like he could linger on them more. Mm-hmm. But he has a lot of things to do in this film in an hour less than he had with well an hour and change less than he had with Zodiac. So, um. Another thing I like in this film is that Douglas, at this point, even though he's starting to realize what's happening, he still is relying on old Van Orton moves to get out of things. Like he says to one of the taxi drivers, who locks him in the car and starts driving, he's like, "Look, whatever they're paying you, I'll pay double." <laughs> and you can tell this is the kind of thing that someone like him—he he can just buy his way through anything. Yeah,
1: that taxi drivers went on. He went into went on to do Braveheart.
2: And he also, if I remember correctly, was in Sin City. He was the explosive expert.
1: Yeah, yeah he's got that scar oh, yeah. on his face. I can't remember his name. I'm looking through the filmography to see if I see his picture anywhere. But uh, he was, I, He's
2: Irish, or at least he plays an Irishman in uh, in Sin City, which doesn't mean he's necessarily Irish. I believe but, he
1: is Irish, though. Yeah. Yeah, Tommy Flanagan. <laughs> no,
2: he's Scottish. Well, uh, he's every, from that neck of the woods with a name like Tommy Flanagan.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, but, he's, but after this, he was in a lot of stuff. He's on Sons of Anarchy now, but uh, he was in... I mean, he's got the, well, you guys, I don't really need to go into detail, but if you've seen his face, you know him, he's he's one of those guys.
2: Yeah, which this film's littered with, but uh, yeah. um, You know, another thing too, another film of the same decade that this kind of reminds me of in a way, different films, but it's um, yuppie, powerful men losing their minds. It's Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: I mean, totally different films, different thing altogether, different catalysts, but the loss of of sanity by powerful men, or just losing control,
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like some of the great shots of shadowy men doing shadowy things at night, and it, it just really again it, it it evokes the mood and what Fincher was going for. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, love, it's the world that Douglas doesn't know about. He's it's, yeah, he's sheltered so.
2: Yeah, it's like this almost like this uh, Cold War spy type thing. If you see men moving in the shadows in trench coats and mm-hmm. mistrust, the paranoia, and you know, all this. I, I like how all this stuff with San Frank contrasts when he wakes up in a very unfamiliar setting mm-hmm. with the sun can just kind of beating down on him. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's a good few moments there. Um, and yeah, we get a nice scene then with his ex wife. And, and of course, that leads to a nice uh taggerine commercial which uh you know they're doling out things as they see fit to uh to douglas and i won't say too much of what's happening yet, but i love the cafeteria scene in the film because it really shows the scope of what's happening and if you look around that cafeteria there are things littered there that um uh there are things i don't want to say too much yeah
1: and I think a lot of people have trouble with that. I think that's the beginning of the parts where people start to have trouble with this movie.
2: Which, I have to say, I'm willing to give myself up to the film. But I do feel like there are certain things in the film that you, you there isn't a workaround for what Fincher's trying to pull off.
1: Yeah. Well, you start to hear the words far-fetched.
2: Which I think are are valid. Yeah, they're fair. It's it's something that we can appreciate this film. Let me tell you, if this film hadn't been as meticulously crafted as it was, from a technical standpoint, um, if you remove that the stuff that people gripe about, you have a very well-made film. Whether you like the film or not, it's another story, but you have a very well-made, well-acted film. If those elements are there, I think the cries and moans of bullshit, far-fetched, really get deafening, and it would even come from me. But I'm willing to to overlook a lot of those because of uh, you know it being Fincher and whatnot. But um, yeah, so I don't want to say too much. But there's a stunt towards the back end of the film that no Italian dummy could do. Um, really impressive. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to know what building that was uh, that was done on. Um, I think people have a lot of problem with that part too. That's uh... I. I Yeah, I do in a way because I feel like um, it's not enough to ruin the film frame, but I feel like uh, we have to put – you can control certain things, but how do you control that? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of dialogue too from one of the other characters. Which which I think goes a long way towards um, uh, uh, validating that, like to say – We had a contingency plan.
1: It validates it to a point, but still the other point is, you know, if you know anything about stunt work, I mean, (laughs) you know, you got to set up everything perfectly for something like that.
2: Well, yeah, because there there were, were, I'm not not an odds person, or I I can't calculate (laughs) odds, but let's just say to use simple math, there was a 75% chance three corners that that could have went south on literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. You know? no, I, and, and it, so, you know, but okay. So it's that aside. A, it's,
1: it's a movie thing, right?
2: It's a movie thing, which I said again, I think that, you know, you, you have to be willing to give yourself to the cinematic conventions when pulling you.
1: Yeah, I think he, I mean, we've said this before, I think he earns it. Yeah. It it's, it's it is is far-fetched. I've seen that comment mentioned because this movie came out on Blu-ray, so a lot of people have been rewatching it recently and, and stuff and I see a lot of people saying words like far-fetched and unbelievable and blah 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 but I think Fincher earns it and like you said I agree with what you said that you know either you like it or not is you know kind of your, you know, your validation of the movie but uh, the build up to that moment is pretty much earned
2: it is and I also feel like though this is Fincher being meta and it's him being using commentary on film
4: mm-hmm.
2: right in, in another way yeah. like it's, it's someone in a snow globe with a level of artifice that, especially on repeated viewings, we're we're aware of. Right. Right. Um, I like Sean Penn's uh, gift that he gets. And that says, I was XYZ, I'll say, to cover it. I was XYZ, and all I got was this stupid T-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was good. Uh, We get some awkward old white people dancing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah oh so, boy GGTMC. that's like ggtmc at horror hound in about 20 more years yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> hawaiian shirts and all bruh. yeah man <laughs> <laughs> for some of uh, us that might be ggtmc
2: now or <laughs> yeah um and um, then uh yeah so that's pretty much it i love the neon in the streets i love the colors there's some the reds look brilliant in this film and i'll kick it over to you
1: yeah yeah the blu-ray does look great i don't know if you ever said that but it does look really great so <laughs> Yeah, it does look nice. Um Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add, obviously. Uh, of course, Fincher's always known for his openings of his films, and this one has got a great opening, too, with the puzzle pieces and stuff, and I really like that. Um, you know, I, I work in the business field, so I meet people like uh, the Douglas character all the time that are really harsh, and uh, it seems like almost like they're hiding something or like they're defense, so, defensive, mm-hmm. so they, they, they use non they use almost cruelty or to deflect or rudeness yeah to deflect any type of like commitment they have to make so mm-hmm. you get used to that but it's it's it is pretty funny but it is very dickens it is very much scrooge what you're seeing you know this yeah. guy that you know has this power and is so far removed he doesn't even spend time with his family anymore he doesn't spend time with his ex-wife he doesn't have any children. Probably oh, that's never, why she's his ex-wife. Yeah, doesn't doesn't you know ever have any? You know, he, I mean, he just has no connection. Ilsa is his uh his house lady is the closest, and and, and it's a, she's almost like a mother figure for him.
2: Yeah, you get the sense that she's been around since he was a boy, and it's it's more of a familial obligation. She she loves him, but it's almost like a mother who loves a flawed child. Yeah,
1: and I, I even love the little simple character moments, like the tie over the shoulder while he drinks the coffee in the morning. Yeah. Those little moments of how important it is for him to look good at all times, mm-hmm. uh, total, you know, totally kind of sell the, the character before he even says a word really. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do believe, you know, like I said, the, the, the film is a little far-fetched in spots and I think that's valid, but again, it, it's a buy-in type movie. So I yeah. think if you buy that, I think you're okay. Um, but any little blip to the Douglas character just drives him mad. And I kind of like that. I love that, you know, he gets to a point where he's, you know, got to change a tire. He's, 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 he's got all these, these issues, <laughs> you know, the little things, too, like the homeless guy down the, uh, the stairway wow. tunnel. That was good. You know, just little stuff like that, you know, is, is really great. Um, I do, I'll have to say, I don't have problems with the scene. Sean Penn's going way over the top in the scene where he ends up in the BMW with, an, uh, um, uh, Michael Douglas's character, I know he's doing it to sell some things, and and do some things and blah 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 for the Douglas character. Uh, I don't really think the scene is necessary in the movie, but you know it is what it is, right? And I mean Sean is doing, he's he's really going hard. He's really going hardcore. <laughs> he's he's really trying to sell some shit there, man. <laughs> um, uh, what, what, what we got going on over there? We washing up. We cleaning up there, bro.
2: Sorry, I had to. I don't know if anyone um I I'm, I'm on the move here. Um, not to derail. I don't know if anyone's ever left a little bit of cereal in a bowl and let it dry. That shit cakes on like a motherfucker. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Rice Krispies, man.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, you get it up you end up working a lot so you want to avoid that work as much as possible. Oh yeah. <laughs> now we're, now we've come to the point of whispering about cereal. That's how sexy we are um yeah but you get uh linda manns coming back to the show in a very small role but it's uh totally linda manns you can tell yeah can i help you you know (laughs) oh yeah yeah it's totally her and it's it's really great and stuff um i like the idea of the company you know i like the idea that they all are in the cafeteria i like i like i I don't know i just like all that stuff and it's almost science fiction in a way and i i kind of like that stuff and I don't know it is entertaining but like i told you off the air i think it's the kind of film that you can watch like once every five to ten years to re to appreciate it and uh see it i don't think because it's a thriller i don't always feel like they have a lot of rewatchability real quick so i'm kind of glad i haven't seen this for 10 years plus uh because it it was almost like watching a new film again and uh of course you know once i started watching i remembered everything but it was kind of nice to be manipulated again uh, that way you know so uh, yeah, I had a good time, and It was it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So let's hear your uh, maker breaks and MBTs. I don't even have a maker break yet. I'm still trying to figure out what I think a maker break is.
2: My maker break scene in the film was the scene with the clown, okay. um, partially because I like the clown. I think it's a beautiful looking prop, um, and it looks amazing in blue. But just that starts the ball rolling uh, because we get like some Max Headroomy Big Brothers watching <laughs> stuff in that scene and. Um, just you know, uh, I was gonna call him Johnson for some reason. Douglas fucking around with the clown, and <laughs> he's got the, the you know the glassy eyes looking back at him with the mouth open, and it it, it it's a really really good scene. MVT, um, I'm gonna go with Douglas. I, I I mean it'd be very easy to go with Fincher for making a meticulous film, um, just impeccably crafted but i feel like douglas does something very difficult here he is an unlikable piece of shit white collar motherfucker yet he still elicits some sympathy from us and he still we still want to watch him and we may not be rooting for him but we're certainly not rooting against him which a lot of people could have played too much one way or too much together the other, but I think he does a good job. And like I said, I, I, as you often say, I don't know how many times I'm going to get a chance to give Michael Douglas an MVT on our show, so I want to give him the MVT. Yeah. Um, and my score for the film is an 8 out of 10. Oh, nice. Um, you know, I kind of hovered between 7, seven five, and 8, but I think the, the craft the technique puts it over for me to be... I mean, another day, if I was in a worse mood, I could give it a 7-7-5 seven, seven, maybe. I think it's – I've never seen Panic Room, as I've told you, but I feel like of all the Finchers, it might be – I don't know. Between this and – see, you have problems with him making the Dragon Tattoo and, and Social Network, but I don't know. It, it's a different – I'll leave it at that. I'll leave you to yourself.
1: Right. Um. My make or break is just the scenes of Manipulation on Douglas Now that I think about it I really you know we talk about Like the shirts and the shoes and All the little jabs at him you know <laughs> Both emotional and material uh, I like all those scenes uh, I like his reactions to those scenes Pretty good I, I agree with you on the MVT uh, Douglas I, I, I Can think of maybe a couple other films I'd give him MVT on uh, But uh, Really it's only maybe two they kind of stand out in my head. Of course, obviously, you know, one is the role he's probably most known for. But <clears throat> um, I might be able. To, I mean, if I even if I watched that film now, if we reviewed it, I might think differently of that. But anyway, um, I'd have to give it to him in this one because I really do think he sells it. I think he does it well. I, I think he's really really good in the film. Uh, score for the film, I'm I'm in total agreement with you. I got it written down. Never scribbled. Never scratched. It's an eight out of ten. Um, I didn't think I'd score this this high. I thought I'd be like you. I thought I'd be in the sevens with it because, like I said, I had mixed emotions the first time I saw it, but it it holds up. It holds up well for a film that's, uh, you know, 15 years old. It's, it's held up pretty well.
2: And you know, not know that you say the words hold up. You know what's impressive is the film, you know, Fincher worked in, in the pop world of music videos, and I feel like this film has aged very well it doesn't reek of 90s to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The uh the piece of uh trivia for all of our listeners out there that might not know. Um at one point the the uh the two uh two of the EMTs in the film uh, one of them is Spike Jones. If you look close you can see it's oh, Spike yeah. Jones. Uh, and the other one is Michael Massey. Now Michael Massey is a uh, got to live with something the rest of i've always felt bad for this actor he's got to live for the rest of his life he's the guy that played fun boy in the crow and fun boy is the guy that accidentally shot and killed brandon lee in the movie so he's the one that actually fired that prop gun that eventually killed brandon lee so i've always felt sorry for that actor you know was
2: that the african-american actor
1: no michael massey's his name he's the other emt but he's uh, he's he, he played like the fun boy character where the uh, had the blonde hair, kind of wild, you know. And he's the one that in the movie he shoots uh, the Brandon Lee character as the crow. Uh, but you know, in real life, you know what happened. So
2: yeah, it's been also probably fifteen twenty years since I've seen that film, and I have a feeling as much as I adored that film, I don't feel like it would probably have aged as well as this film.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well, certain aspects of it have not. Yes, correct. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's. Yeah. Oh man, that's an interesting piece of trivia. That's uh, that is that is sad.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've always felt sorry for that guy. And I, every time I see his name, I always think of that because you know, I remember thinking, Jesus, can you imagine being that guy just doing his job? You know, and
2: yeah, I mean, it wasn't his job to check the gun or anything else. And no, he's gonna live with that he killed someone, right? It's, yeah,
1: he's gotta live with it the rest of his life. Jeez, so. It's crazy. Uh, okay, so that is our review of the game. Normally we'd take a break, but I think we got about 15 minutes here, so we just need to go ahead and jump into some feedback. What do you think? Yeah, I'm on. Let's jump into some here. I got a couple of uh, recent voicemails. I'll go ahead and play those so I don't get them backed up. Right, well. Hey! Hey! <laughs> this is traveling
4: wildfire
3: ranch, rich not night job nothing on the road, heading on down <laughs> so
4: high. God, oh, I, I you oh, we gonna get crazy, baby? <laughs> hey, motherfucker! What you think about that I think it's pretty cute, baby! Why right, are you making it today? You such a bitch! You're not funny! Is you afraid of me? Me and a got Goddamn, Samurai, you fucking motherfucker!
1: <laughs> All right, I had to play that because this past weekend, for those of you who didn't know, was actually a uh, a real they had they had another horrorhound weekend in Indianapolis, and Jamie Lee Curtis is there, and uh Tom Atkins and some people and stuff. Anyway, uh Zom and a few and a few of uh, Jake and a few others went. Jake and you're in Zom and uh, Justin. That was Zom and Justin there, not Tommy Rich okay. and Austin Idol. <laughs>
2: ken and uh justin the yeah other justin
1: ken and the other justin we hang out with there's there's a few people there that you know and
2: and,
1: yeah and uh i wanted to go to maybe eat dinner and stuff and hang out and stuff but i had to you know i put in a hell of a work week and it just wasn't going to work out so uh sadly i didn't get to go up there and see everybody <laughs> it, it just sucks but it is what it is sometimes and um but you know, it does. It, it, I, I can't tell you how much it sucks because it's always good to see Zom and Justin and and Yuri and Jake and the n l t o p guys and all those guys. So, but sadly, That's a lot crazy. of us, yeah, a lot of us didn't get to go this time. Uh, you go, we all try to get together at least once a year, but I usually try to go to every one of them. But I just couldn't make it this time. So, say, vie. It is what it. Is. I hope they had a good time though. I've heard they. i have heard they did. So Justin got to meet Tom Atkins, which I'm really happy for him and. Big time. So, you know, I, I hope he, I hope they had a good time. Uh, we've seen some pictures, not a lot. Tom went up there baby faced, all shaved up. and Oh, yeah. I think he was looking for Jake to maybe spread the cheeks, get a little action, you know, a little <laughs> face plant into the McLarge hole. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, anyway, uh, yeah, man, it just sucks, you know, because I love those guys and, you know, could always stand for some uh, some bro hugs from my amigos, man. But uh, that
2: that could have been your salad getting tossed on that baby face.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, if I'd have been there, it definitely would have happened. There's no, you know, I, I've committed to letting him toss the salad. So, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, I'll have plenty of mushrooms at that point. <laughs> no, it does suck. But I just you know thought I'd play that. All right, let's play this one. Play this one here. Here we go.
5: Hey, guys, uh, Scott calling. Just wanting to say, uh, (laughs) totally enjoying the shows recently. The the, Halloween, I don't know what you want to call it, mega episode was just fantastic. And I especially loved the uh, love that was given to Halloween 3. Uh, It's a personal favorite of mine. Totally bonkers, but totally entertaining. And I I think I've said this elsewhere, but if you look at it through a certain lens, it kind of comes across as a totally wacky blue-collar uh, James Bond film uh, with uh, Tom <laughs> yeah. Atkins doing honors, uh, betting women and uh, taking on a uh, yeah, yeah, drink, controlling megalomaniac, drinking. Anyhow, smoking. <laughs> uh, so great stuff, and uh, yeah, Will, uh, great to see you a little while back. Cat uh, oh, was uh, thrilled to meet you, and uh, would like uh, to do something again uh, soon. So uh, yeah, Sammy, if you ever get up to Toronto, uh, let's uh, let's do that and uh, get us all together. Okay, take happen. care, guys. Thanks. Bye bye.
1: It's going to happen, amigo. It's going to happen. Uh, hopefully, hopefully in 2013, it'll happen again. But it's going to happen. I'll be up. I'll be up at some point soon to hang out. I don't think I'll be up for TIFF again anytime real soon because that's a financial commitment.
2: No big time, yeah.
1: And uh, most of that fund, most of those funds are, for, are going into Christmas again this year. So. Yeah, I know that. But, you know, for some, uh, some bromance and some hanging out, I'm always down for a little trip. It doesn't cost that much to go to Toronto, so... Um, I never really thought about the angle of uh, being a blue collar James Bond film but it does make sense the drinking, the smoking, Total. the bedding of good, women
2: what a good call uh, defeating a world domination bent yeah. Uh, villain yeah he wants to take over the world
1: yeah Yeah, I never even thought about that angle it's a good angle so I like that nice let me see if I can get a couple more in here so we can uh, I, we got a couple more from Fabian but I don't have time to play them uh, they're quite long
2: awesome Fabian
1: yeah awesome Fabian that is I'm almost. I feel so bad because we get backed up on these, and I just feel awful. So, but man, I try to do the best. Like we, we try to do the best we can. Let's get one from Paul in here. Hang on.
3: Hi guys, it's Red Waffle Paul here from the UK. Just <laughs> finished listening to the Halloween episode with an D V and Aaron as guests. Absolutely stellar show. Really, really enjoyed it. I'm actually waiting for the two blues. Um, of the sequels and the the, um, the first film, Blue as well, to arrive, which should come in the next few days. I can't wait to get into them after listening to your review. You just get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And I know I might sound like I'm repeating myself every time I call in, but you really are the highlight of my week. Oh, um, to go to listen to you guys! I'm always waiting at my computer in work, ready to download the show. Um you just do a really tremendous job, you and you evolve, which I think is fantastic. No shows ever the same. But obviously you have your formats with your <laughs> um saying what you've watched and things like that, but I I just love how it's different every week. Um and you deserve a lot a lot of credit. You really are a fantastic podcast. Um I just want to give a shout-out, actually, as well. Um, Obviously, we're having a son who's three years old. I don't actually get to the cinema anymore to watch anything I like. So I just want to give a shout-out to some of these great animated movies that uh, that I've seen this year with my son um, at the cinema. Um, I didn't see Brave with him, although he went with his mum on his own for that, and he said that was fantastic, but... We've seen Frank and Weenie, which <laughs> I thought was amazing, and I ate in Burton. Yeah. Um, we went and saw Paranorman, again, another great animated movie.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, Pirates Band of Misfits, another one, um, really great. And I'm, uh, yeah, there's been a few more this year that I've, I've really, really enjoyed.
4: And,
3: um, yeah, it's, it's been a big year for um, really good animated movies, and... I know this is a more adult podcast, but some of these do have ha- adult themes. And uh, yes, it's been really, really good. And um, I'm sure some, Frank and Weenie in particular, could be in the top 10 this year. Nice. Anyway, I'll leave you to it. Keep up the great work. Um, bye. Adios.
1: Adios, Brigo. Looking forward to Frank and Weenie myself, yeah. Looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, me too. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, No, we're, f- we're a show about film And, you know, it's it's been nice A pretty nice year for uh, For animated films So, yeah, I'm glad to hear Frank and me is good Like I said before, I wanted to see it I got roped into Hotel Transylvania Which isn't very good, but you know, That's the way it goes
1: Yeah, that's the way it is Let me see here, I got uh, a couple from Loaf That add up to about a minute So let me, let's go ahead and play these Which I think it's Loaf Hope it is
0: Gentlemen yeah. This is Pickle Loaf. <laughs> so about the, uh, the uh, Ninja Star talk. See, Sammy grew up a rich man in Louisville, Kentucky, able to go to a Ninja Star store and a, a sickle store and a smoke bomb store. But smoke back bomb in store. Uh, Louisville, North Kakalaki, <laughs> we, uh, we didn't have such things. We had to rely on... Paper ninja stars. <laughs> oh, and there I there those one too. Mulleted young man called Chris Heggie, who was a pro <laughs> at making those ninja stars. He would make them. He'd wrap them in different colored electrical tape. And one time, he outdid himself completely. He made a ten-pointed star with a nail sticking out of each point. Ooh. It blew us away. <laughs> Somebody tried to pierce a wasp with it on the edge <laughs> of the bus. And it, it made everybody laugh. It was a great day. Chris Hakey would sell those ninja stars, and we'd throw them at each other, and it was kind of shitty. But <laughs> it is what it is. We didn't have metal stuff. We had poor paper shit. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
1: I love the uh, trying to pierce a wasp on the edge of the bus. Yeah. I can just see Loaf there, uh, you know, thinking. The, he's thinking the whole time he's watching that gun. Kind of, I wonder one day if I should grow a mustache. <laughs> let me see. He called back. Uh, I think he called the same day. But let me go ahead and play this one too.
0: So I forgot to mention that Chris Heggie's favorite saying wasn't bad to the bone. It was bad to the marrow. So Chris Heggie, <laughs> nice. if only he could have licked knives on the bus. He could have been everybody's idol. He was GGTMC before GGTMC was cool, man. He was an asshole, but yeah, fuck
4: that
1: guy. I think we all knew some uh, GGTMC type uh, thugs in our youth. Oh, yeah. I had to play that story. That's a great story, man. It is a great story. But I had the paper stars too, man so you know hey uh one more thing before we, you got time for pleasantries this morning or you want to yeah yeah no i totally do okay uh, one more thing before we get into the pleasantries i want to wish our good friend bill over at otc a speedy recovery he's going to be uh going in for back surgery
2: again uh
1: yeah december 11th and uh bill's a friend and uh you know a surgery a surgery and uh wish him nothing but the best and hopefully a speedy recovery and stuff and you know, I just, you know, I worry anytime any friend goes under the knife. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Bill,
2: good luck. I hope everything goes smooth and you're on your feet pretty soon.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
2: being two men that have back problems, uh, we, we feel your pain. Uh, so please yeah. get better, man. That's, uh,
1: I have a total fear of surgery anyway. I've never had anything major done, so, uh, outside of some oral surgery which <laughs> there's a joke there but anyway it certainly is but uh, you know I've never really had anything seriously done so I have this like uh, natural fear of it it's not the actual surgery it's the infections that can possibly follow that scare me so
0: <laughs> you've watched too many Cronenberg films I,
1: I have and I've seen some nasty infections with some cheesy pus coming out of them Ooh. <laughs> one happened when I was a teenager and Ooh. I don't <laughs> it was like cheese whiz coming out the tip <laughs> didn't well, smell or taste like cheese whiz. <laughs> I'll have to ask Loaf about that. He had it on, <laughs> some, he had it on some crackers. Because <laughs> I was <laughs> infected to the marrow, brother. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So, yeah, let's go ahead and do our pleasantries.
2: All right. So, what's his name? Chris Henke? Heggy, Heggy, Heggy.
1: Heggy. Yeah. It almost sounds like a professional wrestler or something like the indomitable Chris Heggy yeah,
2: and his paper stars. That's right. He's pulling them out from under the uh, under the mat. (laughs) Um, Check out our sister shows, Silver and Gold Show Show OTC. Uh, Check out, of course, our good friend the Brin at the Hammockus. Check out the Feminine Critique. Going to be some uh, cross pollination with those dames pretty soon. Nice. Um,
1: (laughs) Nice. Hope they're taking the pill.
2: No. Podcast Without honoring rotten humanity. Sina, <laughs> uh, awesome, hopeful romantics, and Chills from the skeleton closet. <laughs> Action, attraction, Marybeth, crackers. So you're
1: thinking, like, yeah? I you call them up, uh, do that voicemail, and say, "Hey, you, be b- babes, on the pill, or
2: what?" Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> we should do that next week. Glee cast. Paleo Cinema, Family Movie Nights, podcast, not a podcast. whoa, (laughs) podcast, whoa, (laughs) Uh, a little Uh, Kool-Aid, (laughs) 35mm Heroes, Chinster vs. Punter, N.O.T.L.P., The Big Red Podcast, Better in the Dark, Uh, V Cinema, The Criterion Cast, Projection Booth, Mondo Film, Love That Album, Movie Matchup, movies about girls, a man, a kid, a pony, trick or treat radio, the good, the bad, the weird. Uh, of course, check out the Gore Press Gorecast, paracinema.net, nightmaretheater.plup.tv, we are Young Monster, and teleport Of course, check out Siamese Royalty, uh, that is our good friend Aaron, the Death Rattlers uh, musical uh, endeavor. Uh, the DGTMC dot dot com. These are all dot dot um, What does that <laughs> say? <laughs> oh, Cooper Pumpkin speaks and um, uh, Chuck Norris at my baby. Deadly Dolls House. Fist of B-List, They got a Facebook group. Head over there and get in on the Zubaz Insanity. Yeah. Cinema Gonzo, Chambara Spart Spurt. Playground of Doom. Spart Spart. <laughs> sort of like a shark. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Speaking of pads, yeah. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, watch out for my spart. I hope you're on the pill.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> scared syphilis and shasta. That's
1: what a spart would be, man. It'd be the actual noise of semen spurting out of your speech. <laughs> I may have just
2: sparted. Mine's quiet and dignified. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: yeah, mine is, but I'm not.
2: <laughs> it's like a ketchup bottle when it's <laughs> almost yeah. empty.
1: Yeah, mine. They, they, there's quietness coming out of there, but I'm like, oh god. Ooh.
2: <laughs> jerry
1: lewis <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then i smell bacon all of a sudden i don't know what's going oh, on
2: gonna <laughs> nice. get that check too much sodium in your diet bro yeah. <laughs> looks like lard after you've cooked a pound of bacon in <laughs> the frying pan uh, <laughs> a little bit yellow moon in the gutter um check it of course wax mask for our good friend greg laying down the hot wax
1: um, course, moon week. in the gutter <laughs> it's not the, the only thing in the gutter this week jesus
2: that's right man Oily Maniac, speaking of minds in the gutter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Death Rattle. Uh, TheLightningBugsLair.com. A Hero Never Dies. The Freaking Awesome Network. Feed My Ears on Facebook. Region Incognito. Check out DiabolicDVD.com. Promo code Gentleman. Cinema-DE-Bizarre. Promo code GGTMC. No, gentlemen. Again, I think. i got to get these fucking promo codes sorted out. <laughs> OMG dot com and promo code GGTMC ten, boulevardmovies.com. dot com. I really got to get these promo codes sorted. I know. <laughs> Camera Obscura, who has just announced they're releasing Cry the Prostitute on their wonderful label. A nice. legit DVD copy of Cry of the Prostitute within the next probably three to six months, I would imagine. Wonder. So, good news I wonder there. if we
1: can get them to send a copy to Tom Jane.
2: You know what? I'm willing to bet we could. That's a good idea. Yeah. Very good idea. Uh, Facebook, of course, check us all out over there. Twitter.com backslash GGTMc Large William, Pickle Loaf 10, um, Bob Freelander, Uncool Cat, uh, The Death Rattle, I think, and um, iTunes reviews would be awesome. Ar- ar- yeah, awesome. They would be, <laughs> <It'd> be arsome. <laughs> ar- awesome. Oh my god. they oh, would be marvelous. Like Marvin Hagler
1: Marvin Hagler <laughs> i loved. Uh, I love the uh, show show Spooktacular, Where they decided to do Irma God is serious Yeah <laughs> And every now and then you can just hear one of them go Irma God God is spurted Sparted For me For fuck Anyway, all right. Uh, so that is the big show next week. We are coming back with a, another semi-program motherfucker. I'm gonna do a little diabolic DVD. We're gonna go back to the double douche. We're gonna get Speaking into Yeah. a Chambara. Yeah. Uh, gonna talk a little Lady Snowblood. Now this is a series of films that's uh, pretty pretty popular among cult film enthusiasts. So we've always held off on covering Lady Snowblood, but we're gonna do one and two. Or, well, blue one, the first one in the sequel. I don't think they're actually numbered, but um, we're going to check those out on Arrow Blu-ray and uh, let you know what we think. I think we probably know what we think of the films, but we're going to let you know what we think of the transfers and everything else and kind of get into that. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. I haven't seen uh, either one of those films. And, uh, well, I saw Lady Snowblood again probably back when I was listening to either Cinema Diabolic in the beginning or OTC. I can't remember which one. Uh, but I have I, I – I've never seen the sequel.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's not as obviously as good as the first, but it, it's got some moments.
1: So we'll get into those and a uh, We we'll love
2: going on <coughs> we gotta open. I think we got to open the show next week with uh, Miko Kaji's uh, theme.
1: I'll have to do that. Well, Miko Kaji. All right, so that is the big show. With that, I will say adios.
2: Adios.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail dot